This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Gosh, I've been practicing here for 25 years. I can't believe it. And about a year and a half ago, I decided to start a podcast because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice, not only to those who might be interested in psychological and emotional issues, who might even be in therapy, but to those who had never talked to a mental health professional and had no idea what it would be like to do so. I'm so delighted you're here, and it's a special day today because I'm doing my first live interview. Today, I'm talking to Stuart Walker, who says very proudly he's a dad, a father of three. He owns and manages two gyms here in Arkansas Clubhouse, so he's a small business owner as well. But Stuart's going to tell you the story of how pressure began to build up for him in his own personal life and his professional life how the birth of his three children have brought him great joy, but initially great difficulty in the acceptance of two of those children having autism and one having very complicated physical problems. He's an example of what I've termed perfectly hidden depression, and he's here to tell you his story. I should tell you that Stuart came to me a couple of years ago and said, Margaret, I know you're writing about depression, and I want to tell my story. And so we did a YouTube video. We did talk about it first because I had been his therapist, and I was quite concerned that his participation might negatively influence a future therapist-client relationship. But Stuart told me with great passion that he felt almost a calling to tell what is a very remarkable and powerful story. And so I'm so happy to introduce to you Stuart Walker. Thank you very much, Margaret. Sure. So when you and I first talked several years ago, you told your story about how you had what I call perfectly hidden your depression. Can you tell people, first of all, how your depression got started and what you were aware of before you actually came into treatment? My depression most likely got started when I was in college. Most noticeably, in my junior year of college, I found myself with panic attacks happening very frequently, probably not knowing what I was going to do in life. And I started finding myself racing out of a glass room. And, uh, wow. you know, a couple of times I felt like I was having heart problems. It was causing uh, some blood pressure issues, most likely not sleeping. And I also burned the candle at both ends. Did you tell anybody about it? Not at first, mm. no. Uh, at first, I just I, I thought something was wrong with me. I didn't know what was in fact going on. Why, you know, what a panic attack was. I had a panic attack one night that I really thought I was having a heart attack. Sure. I, um, you know, the night that I actually went back to Little Rock and you know, kind of told my parents really what was happening. I really thought I was having some sort of a heart event, not sure. a not a panic attack. The following day, I just didn't want to get out of bed. My heart was racing all night long. I would uh, just have this heart racing, mind racing, you know. Okay. And I didn't necessarily know where it was coming from, but, you know, maybe I didn't have my ducks in a row yet with life. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened then? I started the process of trying to get myself out of college, getting reorganized. I got a job in the athletic club industry. 
uh, started working out, started taking care of myself. Um, I also probably drank way too much then, so I definitely, you know, I'm sure that was a, I had a little self medication mm-hmm. uh, period there. Um, I, I prob- that's a time when I found that getting up early, exercising was helpful to my. Uh, really to my, uh, you know, I don't know if I was aware of, I had depression at that time, but I certainly was aware of my anxiety. And uh, I had a prescription at that time and was able to get off of that. I actually was put on high blood pressure medication. I had to really manage my blood pressure. And it was stress-induced, sleep-induced, worry-induced, all of those types of things. And uh, exercise really helped. Okay, so let's fast forward to when you began recognizing that things were getting out of hand with your depression. Well, I've probably always, uh, maybe I've always been an anxious person. That's not how anybody would ever describe me. My personality's probably pretty laid back. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody is, sees Stu and they just smile. He's always laughing and talking and yucking it up with people. I'm definitely not the person that anyone would think was having anxiety issues. No. Um, but I, when me and my wife had children, we, you know, after our first son had about two or three years of age, we got news that he had autism, and uh, that threw me for a jolt. It was just suddenly life was not going to be on the path that you visualize how to handle that, all the course of treatment that that would take. And and, uh, so I I began having pretty serious issues at that time. I think that was a struggle with marriage at that time, too. You know, my wife and I, neither one knew how do we, you know, how do we handle all of this, what path it was... what kind of serious issues are you talking about? Um, you know, with autism, you're just in the dark. Oh, sure. I think okay. you're in the dark you don't mean all the about time. Yourself. And, well, you are talking yeah. about yourself, but you're really talking about your response uh, and your reaction to I, I think uh, there was a, a period of time with my son where, you know, you do kind of have nightmares, not sleeping. It's constant sure. worry about what life is going to be. And knowing now it's a situation that's in the future that hasn't happened yet, and you're constantly worrying about that. You know, Mm -hmm. how are people going to treat him? What's that going to be like? Um, Is he going to talk? Because he didn't talk for the longest time. Um, You know, you just, it was really for me as a guy that has a lot of anxiety, a state of constant worry. Sure. And uh, I went a long period where I just did not sleep very much. I mean, I, you know, so I'd cat nap when I could and I just you know wasn't a good sleeper at at all you know so so was there anyone that you confided in that you were this in some ways internally broken by this and afraid of how you would respond not at that time I I don't know that I know why I just kind of put on a good face and a lot of that probably does have to be you know I'm in a I'm in a fitness business first off and you do put on your good face Mm -hmm. um I ran a gym at the time that was a large gym. I probably had 150 people on staff and six, 7,000 customers. And um, you couldn't be the person that's there not in good spirits. So in general, I would put on a good face and come in and high five people and, you know, keep everybody's spirits up. And it's the good part of people's day. And my role is to make it. So I, I definitely hid that during that time. Yeah. So in some ways, if we can call this perfectionism, it wasn't necessarily your own perfectionism coming out, but it was the fact that you felt like other people expected you to look and act a certain way. Well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, those six or 7,000 people that were coming to the gym, they expected Stuart to be Stuart. Yeah. So 
that's interesting because there's some research that actually shows that that kind of perfectionism is what is most dangerous, actually can lead to uh, thoughts about hurting yourself, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. more than other kinds of perfectionism. But go ahead. That's enough research. We want to hear your story. You know, probably the next, it just, for me, I went through a professional and a few years later, having more kids, the place that I worked had a major expansion and it had a major expansion as, you know, obviously the economy and the 2006, seven, and eight yeah. period was collapsing, and and I was caught up in the middle trying to work as hard as we could, trying to help my wife figure out how to scale work back so that she could take care of our son. And then we had we were going to have another child, which turned into twins. And then when we had our twins, we found out we had a situation called twin to twin syndrome with mm-hmm. the girls, which really just kind of spurred on a lot of birth defects. In both, some ways for both babies, but Lexi, my daughter Lexi, was kind of would be called the recipient baby and or the donor baby, and Katie would have been the recipient baby, and Lexi just did not have enough nourishment, uh, and it spurred everything from blindness in one eye and deafness in one ear or almost deafness. Her skull didn't quite develop. She has she's on a liver transplant list. She's just had a multitude of disabilities, including autism. So uh, Katie at the time was actually diagnosed with uh, a a heart defect that we thought was going to be open heart surgery. That was their initial uh, diagnosis, but it was one of those that kept getting better, not worse. So we kind of caught a break with Katie. She's really developed and been very healthy and been the the big sister in our house. But I kind of had a perfect storm of children with disabilities managing this place i could see where we were heading we overbuilt and we didn't we weren't bringing in enough members to pay the bills and we were getting to that period where you were laying people off but trying to also act like the business was doing well so there was no place there was no <laughs> so, place where you could sort of put your feet up and go all right i can take 10 or 15 minutes here just for me it was constant pressure everywhere you went at at that time my day didn't shut down it just it really, from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, it was just go. I mean, the phone, the email, it was a lot of people. And if I wasn't at the club, we were having some sort of appointment at a hospital, some sort of trip, trying to discuss with Missy and be available, which I don't think I was, I think I was, you know, numb. Missy is his wife, time. for those of you who yeah. don't know. And, you know, it sounds like a stupid question then to say, well, what made you. <laughs> become so depressed that it got really dangerous for you and you haven't really talked about that yet but I know what's coming um obviously even one of these things would have been enough in and of itself so as you think about what began to what began to change in you or your own sense of okay I can handle this okay I can handle this okay I can handle this what broke well the thing that started happening with me I started having a repeated thought in my head, uh, and it was kind of like pressure building, pressure building, pressure building. And when I was driving, I would just kind of visualize running into the more or less running into a wall of a bridge. Wow! And okay. uh, and as weird as that sounds, you could kind of visualize an implosion, and it was as if that pressure subsided for just just for a moment, a moment. And I started finding myself doing that over and over and over 
sometimes I would do that at night when I slept, sometimes when I came home, certainly in the car. But during the daytime, you'd find you'd just close your eyes and do that. I went through thoughts of doing that with a bridge, and I did that with thoughts of doing that with a pistol, where you would just think about a pistol going off. And and as weird as that seems to say, it was like a relief of pressure or tension for just a second. And you would exercise that. As if there is a way out. As if something is a little bit of a relief. I don't even know how that, I don't, I still today don't put that thought with me at all. But then after a while, you start, at one point, I found myself on an interstate speeding and actually kind of certain to a certain extent thinking of what would that be like? Can I push that closer? I don't own a gun, so that's... Mm-hmm. That was That's good. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't in the... Uh, That's right. I didn't have the headspace to uh, certainly uh, have a weapon in the house either. So so that's that was a good thing. But I, uh, I just felt like I didn't have control of my thoughts there for a period or what I might do to myself. Or, and I really did not have an outlet. I did have an outlet, but I didn't talk to anybody. I certainly felt like with my wife, she had enough on her plate and I was trying to put on a good face. Mm-hmm. Our club was kind of precarious. So I was trying to put on a good face and I was really working to try to bail ourselves out as fast as I could. And that, that kind of was going well, but it was still, it was, it was a tremendous amount of pressure. So my relationship like? with bosses, my employer was mm-hmm. really tense. So there just was not a good place. I did not have a person there that I could really spill all that too and I I think I sounded crazy I still do to a certain extent repeating um, having a suicidal type thought like that doesn't sound like something that you want to spill to somebody well of course not in many ways because you it it reveals how vulnerable you're feeling on the inside and people don't want to do that plus it people would look at you I mean given what your persona was outside of that they'd say well I don't get that you look great what what are you talking about I mean the the disjointedness of the way you were presenting and wanted to present and what was really going on internally was so different that people would have a hard time understanding unless they knew that people do that actually all the time. Mm -hmm. So was there anything that happened? Was there any kind of culmination of emotions or experiences that you said, all right, I can't do this anymore? Well, I, I, I broke down in front of my wife one night. I mean, my I was at a point where by the time I got home, it was 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, and obviously my wife's got the kids, she's got my son, she wants to talk, and I'm I'm brain dead. I don't think I was much of a husband at that time because I stared at a wall, and I just, you know, and, and Missy was trying her best to talk and get to the root of you need to do something, and she was proactive. She was having so many of the same issues, and she was seeing you. Mm-hmm. So you were our only real outlet as far as a person that that uh, a therapist that I knew that 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 was out there. And I just I broke down one night really when she was asking me questions. I finally spoke about it, and she made me go see you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I was really. And you chose to be honest with me. Uh, yeah, I I don't. I was just at a breaking point. I, I knew that I was, I, I, I knew that all day long I was literally kind of closing my eyes and running this scenario through my head. And it was, um, you know, and my head, I was always, I, I'd had, I've had friends that have committed suicide. I've known 
people, you know, that you just go, gosh, I don't put that together. Yeah. And I think I was recognizing at that point that I'm in that space. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so when I spilled, I spilled. Um, so that's what I needed. Uh, I needed to unburden uh, myself of a lot of things, and, you know, and it wasn't just kids. There was kids. There was marriage, how we were dealing with marriage. There was work. There was Everybody a tragic sur- death of a friend, as I remember. Oh, yeah. I, I was carrying that around for years. My my son is actually named after my best friend growing up, you know, mm-hmm. and I just had never unloaded. That actually started my freshman year of college, That which probably carried into anxiety and relationships and stuff. But it, I just had never unloaded or unburdened in my, uh, I don't know when you do. <laughs> well, and I remember in our work together, we were sort of searching around for other kinds of things that may have work together to make you someone who wouldn't do that. And basically you said, it. it's just because I'm a, I'm a guy. I was taught to be a guy. I was taught to keep these kinds of things to myself and take care of business. Well, that's definitely the case. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're taught that necessarily. I guess you are taught that. In school. You modeled I mean, you, that. Yeah, you modeled model that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you suck it up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, when things really, when there was a lot of pressure, I, I don't know that you can cave. I mean, when I felt like our business was precarious, uh, not our business, the place that I worked, you certainly can't let anybody know that you're not confident in where you work. Well, uh, that, you know, and it's yeah. the same thing with your I've, I've certainly at least felt like with my family, I needed to be strong for my wife. I, you know, she actually needed me to talk and stop being uh, hard headed as it turns <laughs> she out. A but she needed a partner sort of, in yeah. it, not mm-hmm. a, uh, not what I thought was. Well, what you're talking about, if I can put a psychological spin on it, is the skill of compartmentalization. And it's mm-hmm. when we have something that's troubling and we put it in a in a box somewhere and we put the box on top of the closet and we say, I'll get to that when I can. And that is a skill. Everybody has to do that. You can't walk around constantly with what's in your heart and mind, especially if it's sad or you're grieving or you're angry or you're hopeless or whatever it happens to be. You can't necessarily carry that around with you, but you can overdo that and you can do that so rigidly that you're not touching any of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what was happening with you. So what's different now? Well, I still have a lot of the pressures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, uh, first off, my relationship with my wife is awesome. I mean, we do talk about things, you know, and and I do walk in when I need to need to talk. I've, I've, you know, I've, up until that point, I certainly had never shed a tear in front of my wife, and I have many times now. Mm-hmm. So we have a different type of relationship. You know, I got out of my employment situation. Really, at the time, the place that I was working wasn't going to make it. I lost my job. Um, Gosh. <laughs> so I, you know, I went through a period where I lost my job. We. We went from free insurance to about seventeen hundred a month with Cobra with three kids that had some sort of disability at the time, and it was a that was a scary time. Um, and you know, I had to find my way, and we built a business. Uh, that's what I knew how to do. I couldn't find a job at that particular time. I was skilled to run a health club, and not much in our area. So. Um, part of that gave me a purpose, I think a little bit of a sense of purpose. I think for a while I was running around feeling like I, I don't know how to help my kids. I don't know how to help my wife. I don't know how to help this business that I'm running. 
So losing my job, to a certain extent, I got a little bit back on my feet when I was at least working on creating a job again. That was a dire situation, but it was okay. Sure. So, Stuart, what made you come to me that you said, I want to tell my story, when we did the the thing for YouTube? Oh, you know, so much of that. I I had just gotten better. My pressure had actually gone up. My my daughter had been through so many surgeries, and our business was still tough. It was a health club business, and the economy was scary, and trying to figure out how to pay everybody and find customers. It was a lot of pressure, and I just felt like I found a way to check myself, um, and it helped so much, and you helped so much. I, you know finding a way to talk mm-hmm. and develop a strategy to how to live life. Mm-hmm. Um, I see these customers, and I think the part that of wanting to tell my story is that I see people, I mean, really daily, that they walk in our door and they're coming into a gym and they want to feel better. And I know that one thing, they want to feel better, but they've got a wall up and they don't hardly give us any information they don't want to tell you too much. I don't know if they think you're going to get sold or whatever it is, but they've they have a wall up. And most of the time, so many times, people don't make it. They they never talk. They have a lot of other things that are keep that are going to keep them from actually exercising. They they may hate their job. It could be a bad marriage. It could be a death in the family. But we don't know that. And I. Uh, it's frustrating to watch people not make it that you know when you had the first conversation they came in and they they more or less tell you they just need to start feeling better. Sure. And I don't know what that is. But they don't really know how to express it They don't know how to express it. They don't know how to express it any better than I was expressing it. I wanted to feel better Mm -hmm. when I was in that situation badly. Um, I had a lot of other things. Exercise wasn't going to be the thing that necessarily fixed it. It helped. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it still helps today, but it's a lot of strategies. Sure. Um, that, On multi levels, uh, really. That, that, mm. that really have to come into play, and you have to get organized and figure out what you want your life to look like and where to go. And you helped me put all those things together. Well, this and, isn't a commercial for well, Dr. Martin. Well, it, it, it's true. Well, I mean, I'd never done any type of therapy before, but I, I, I did not have a way given my set of circumstances, which weren't going to change. Mm-hmm. I was still going to have two children with autism. I'll think about the possibility of closing my eyes and thinking about taking a pistol to my head or running into the side of a bridge and that that could have possibly happened or that I would ever act on something like that to today where, you know, I feel great about where my kids are and I feel great about where my business and what we do. And it is hard and it is challenging, but I certainly found some appreciation in life and some purpose in life. And what happened, because what Stu and I did was we put a video on YouTube now several years ago, and I splashed it all over Facebook. I splashed it all over the Good Men Project. I splashed it on Huffington Post. I did where I put it wherever it would get some attention. And what, what has been the response to you from people? I just had one person after another walk up to me and, A, thank me for talking you know, uh, and I just had an enormous amount of, of, especially men, come up and lots of women that yeah. just said, I, f- I feel the same way. Wow. And um, that is incredible. You know, and it's a little overwhelming because I don't know what, you know, I'm not situated to help them with anything other than exercise, but it's been, it's, it's led to a bunch of wonderful conversations with people that 
let them know to hang in there and find some help and that you can tackle it. Yeah. Well, it seems very trite to say to you that, you know, I'm so glad that you did what Missy asked you to do and you came in and happened to be my door. But, um, and so obviously you, you and your family and everyone who knows you and, and you, who you love and who loves you has benefited. So good for you. And thank you so much for being here. Is there any piece of advice you might give someone who is in the same boat you were in or a similar one? You know, really, with anybody, it's just that it's okay to it's okay to open up and talk. To give yourself permission. To give yourself permission. Yeah, I, I wasted a lot of time standing there frozen, and you just don't have to do that. I, you know, uh, you can you can start that process of getting better today, really easy. Well, I hope you'll listen to Stu and reach out. You can always email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com as well. But we'll talk more about that. In a moment, thank you so much, Stu. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to me and my first live guest, Stuart Walker, as we talked about Perfectly Hidden Depression. As I said, you can always email me. And in fact, I would love for more of you to email me. Ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It gives me a chance to get to know who is listening to this. I can tell where you're from, but I cannot tell if you're a man or a woman, or obviously I can't tell the reasons why you're listening, but I'd love to hear that from you. Perhaps I could create a podcast just for you. So please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It is confidential. I will be the only one who sees it, and I will be the only one who responds. There are many ways of getting in touch with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My Facebook, which I post weekly podcasts and blog posts, is facebook.com slash drmargaretrutherford. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Pinterest. And of course, I'd love it if you left a rating and review Not all my ratings are great, but that's okay. I want your honest opinion of the show. And if you leave one, I'd like to hear what you like about it or don't like about it in the review. That would really help me make sure that self-work is something that at least the majority of the people who are listening look forward to and anticipate. And of course, subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. And of course, as I said before, you can do it on my own website. I'd welcome you there, drmargaretrutherford.com. Thanks for listening. I thoroughly enjoyed my interview with Stuart, and I hope that you did too. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. Self Work.